It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains descriptions of murder and gun violence. The mob likes to kill people in restaurants. That's one of a few themes that you pick up on when you're cataloging hundreds of restaurant-related crimes across the centuries. On our murder sheet, that whole category is delineated, color-coded in smoky gray. And it sort of makes sense. There's something cinematic about a group of gangsters sitting down for a casual bite or an opulent spread only for the bread-breaking to erupt into a bloodbath. But, to paraphrase Dan Grimaldi's Sopranos character, Patsy Parisi, lots of things the Mafia does aren't cinematic. 
and we'll be talking about the senseless violence that the mob has brought on unsuspecting civilians, too. In this episode, we'll be hearing from a longtime listener who knows all about the mob and has done extensive research on this topic. So, why has the mob committed so many restaurant slayings? It's quite true, and it's, you know, used for several reasons. And uh, the main one being uh, they like to eat, and they like <laughs> to eat at uh, noted restaurants where people would know that they're eating there. So it's a real good place to if you're getting set up, you know. All these are setups one way or another. You just heard the voice of Stephen Popkin. He's a Brooklyn native who's harbored an interest in the mob for a long time. He'll be walking us through a series of interconnected slayings, with several restaurant hits taking center stage. Because I grew up in Brooklyn, around a lot of guys, and, uh, you know, no one, you know, in my family was, like, even connected, but there was always the talk that someone knew someone, you know what I mean? And so that always interests me. And then I also, in the 90s, had worked in the garment center, uh, surrounded by a lot of that stuff. And, uh, you know, the John Gotti, Paul Castellano assassination. It just is really gripping, you know. And, uh, of course, that's one of the most famous uh, restaurant hits, you know, certainly in our lifetime. And it turns out that New York City is a pretty good place to learn about the mob. New York is still the main, you know, mafia families in the country. And with more independence in other cities from New York, although they're all still connected. But in New York, there's still the five families and they're still, you know, have anywhere from like 50 to like maybe 200 members in each of committed, you know, soldier members. And at any given time, you know, certainly a lot of them might be in jail. In other cities like Chicago and uh, the more regional cities around New York, like Buffalo and like Philadelphia, New Jersey, there are different families there that are like subservient to New York. So there's like a, a South Jersey family, the De Cavalcantes, and then there's also Philadelphia crime family, uh, which is Joey Merlino is allegedly the head of and then you know there's atlantic city down there where those two guys are fighting but ultimately it all goes back to new york if they have a beef with someone else that's who they have to ask to get it you know solved Stephen's going to share with us the extensive research he did on several connected mafia crimes we're talking about a virtual spider's web of murders these span decades from the 50s to the 70s and they were all connected, and they all took place in New York. And all remain unsolved to this day. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. 
We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is Dining with the Mafia. We've got to start with Crazy Joe. Uh, yeah, Joseph Gallo is uh, from a very powerful um, mob-type family. He was born in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn in 1929, the beginning of the Depression, and he was affiliated with the Colombo crime family. He was a protege to a famous uh, capo, was Frank Marco. He got diagnosed with schizophrenia in his young years as like a juvenile delinquent. And he uh, picked up the name Crazy Joe from his brother, Albert Gallo, who himself's nickname was Kid Blast. So they had some great uh, nicknames in that family. The third brother's name was Larry. Poor Larry got ripped off when it came to nicknames. Growing up in Red Hook, it was very uh, influenced by the docks. It's right on the water of Brooklyn, docks, longshoremen, labor, that kind of thing, especially back then. He became, uh, you know, a street guy. He became an enforcer, a tough guy, a wise guy, a capable guy, a mad hatter. You know, that means basically uh, an assassin or a hitman, a gangster. He was always ready to do a piece of work for the people above him in the Profaci crime family. So he was trying to, you know, raise his own stature with his Gallo crew and his brothers. And uh, he got quite powerful. At a time, the bosses of the Mafia Five families in the commission, they were trying to get rid of Albus Anastasia. He was the boss of the Anastasia family, which became known as the Gambino family. I mean, Albert Anastasia, even, you know, if you've you never heard of the Mafia, you've probably heard of that. He, he's the most, you know, famous mobster, and he, he was successful in it, too. But eventually, you know, he had to go, and that was it. So Vito Genovese and Tommy Lucchese were trying to uh, get approval to murder Albert Anastasia. And the rule is that you can't kill a boss unless it has the approval of the Mafia commissioner. And all of these guys were on it, Genovese and Lucchese. They were able to convince Carlo Gambino, who was Anastasia's underboss, to set up Albert Anastasia's assassination. And another trademark in the mafia is when they have a hit or, you know, a murder or a contract, they always try to hand it off to someone that's not associated with them. So get them off the trail at the beginning, a different family. And, uh, you know, the reason why they call it organized crime is, is organized. If, if you're from this family or from that family, you know, you can, can do stuff together. Each has their own role. An assassination, maybe, you know, one team murders the guy and then the other team, like, disposes of the body. And there could even be a third team that transported in between. Everyone's on a need-to-know basis and nobody knows too much. But another trademark of being a hitman and assassin 
is that at some point, usually you get rubbed out yourself. You know, you go around hitting people, you're going to make enemies, you know, and it takes a while, but it's very, uh, every, you know, one way or another, the hitman and then the guy that killed the hitman and the guy that killed the guy that hit the belt. They just leave no uh, witnesses. While it's associated with lawlessness for obvious reasons, the mob can operate as a formal system with numerous rules. Right, and it is really based on real rules, you know, not something that, you know, the guys made up or whatever. This is real. You take the oath and you become a member and then you follow the rules, you know, and that's the way it's done, especially back then. And at the end of the day, it's all based around family. But those bonds can be weaponized. When a person's usefulness has run its course, those friendships or kinship ties are used against them. Usually the way they do it is they'll set you up with your own best friend. So he's going to bring you to the meeting or to the restaurant. A lot of times they use a ruse, and this I know has been used you know, uh, many times in different cases I've read about where they tell the subject he's about to get made become a made member in the family he's an associate and people want to believe that you know so he gets into his suit and he's ready and then when he gets there you know it's behind the head depending sometimes they want to make a message or leave the body out somewhere or you know take his money or put up more money in him you know all different like ways that they've done it. whatever message and then other times they just it's never seen again it's done through you know consideration or whatever, dumping garbage and in the ocean and all that stuff. So they really do have different uh, messages that they're sending out there. That's something we covered in our episode on mobster Willie Moretti. Murder at lunchtime, the mob and Willie Moretti. His assassins conversed with him in his native Italian. They shared some laughs with their victim before they gunned him down. It was all a ruse to put him at ease. But let's get back to Albert Anastasia. You probably recognize the name. He's widely considered one of the first major players in the modern American mafia. He's also the co-founder of the infamous Murder Incorporated, the violent enforcement arm of both the mafia and the Jewish mob. He was a little bit too public for the uh, families. They wanted him to tone down. He didn't quite do it. He had a higher profile than a guy like him who, you know, was the head of Murder Incorporated. But also, a lot of these mafias, they dabbled in political um, associations. They had supporters that were political. So he was out there helping get people elected, judges, you know, district attorney, stuff like that. All through bribery, uh, obviously. It brings too much police presence. That's, you know, they don't want that. They want to just do their job and you know, be racketeers and run their businesses and whatever. They don't, you know, want to, but somehow people always think they could, you know, beat the mob or borrow money and not pay it back and not get hurt. And it's just, you just can't. You see, in mob history, getting too flashy is a dangerous move. And Anastasia's success had put a target on his back. The contract itself had been handed off to Joe Perfacci. He's from the Colombo family. He had agreed with the other bosses and the underboss 
So that's like four of the five families, and the fifth family most likely was involved, which was the Bonanos. In fact, the source of a lot of this information is from Joseph Bonanno, who wrote a somewhat of a tell-all like uh, mafia book in the 70s, but it's controversial. It's not known as the God's honest truth. It's like self-serving. The plotters picked a time when they knew Anastasia would be most vulnerable. Said Albert Anastasia, he went for a shave at his uh, favorite barbershop, which is where he would go regularly, Grasso's Barbershop at the Park Sheridan Hotel on October 25th, 1957, two hitmen murdered him. As he relaxed in the barber's chair with a hot towel over his face, two men who were disguised with scarves rushed in, pushed the barber out of the way and fired at him. He reportedly got up and lunged at his killers. However, the wounded Anastasia actually attacked the gunman's reflection in the mirror in the barbershop. What an image. A wounded man desperately emptying his gun into the figure of his attacker, only to see the glass shatter. The gunman continued firing until he fell. And then he lied dead on the barbershop floor. It was in the middle of the day and... No one was caught, certainly, at the scene. NYPD speculation on who killed Anastasia had centered on the Profaci crime family and Crazy Joe Gallo and Carmine the Snake Persico as the likely shooters. But like all of these crimes discussed today, they remain unsolved to this day. When asked about the hit, Joseph Gallo at one time said with a smile, you could just call us five the barbershop quintet. Let's talk about another mafia hallmark in this case. The killer shoved the barber out of the way. The stereotype about mob murders is that the families take pains to ensure that so-called innocent victims don't end up dying. That is true, and we'll be seeing more of that in some other later uh, hits. That You'll see that the gunman, even though blasting dozen of bullets, you know, hit the target and somehow the innocent people didn't get hit. But also we will see the opposite of that too, where the gunmen started blasting away and innocent people did get hit. They'll be the first ones to say that they're just killing themselves. I've heard Sammy the Bull Gravano say that many times, you know. I'm just killing a guy that's, you know, whatever, he wronged the, uh, you know, uh, an illegal organization. But, as we both know, you know, innocents do get to get involved and, uh, you know, how could you, uh, pr- you know, protect that? If you're walking around with a gun, you know, we're going to get shot. But the police investigated this thoroughly and they could never arrest anyone or just barely point the finger at someone. And then eventually, you know, it's a cold case and it's forgotten. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin. 
or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Row Body Program. Here's how it works. Row gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What was happening was that Joe Colombo, he had started what he called the American Civil Rights League. It was a kind of pro-Italian political, you know, group loosely based on different Jewish civil rights, African-American civil rights, that kind of thing. But he happened to be the head of the Colombo family. So people that were trying to keep you know, crime more secret, they weren't into this idea, but he was very taken with the idea that he has an Italian civil rights thing and then they can make demands and supposedly in the Godfather movie itself, they made the demand that the word mafia is not used in it, which it isn't. And other things such as on the news, you know, they put out press releases, that kind of thing. It was kind of really was just a front, but at the same time, a lot of people were drawn into it because it was a rally, it's for civil rights, you know, civic pride, that kind of thing. So it wasn't all just gangsters that were following this. There's a lot of citizens and it happened in New York two years in a row and uh, people like John Lindsay and, you know, other people, you know, shook the hands of these guys at one time or another. It was called the American Civil Rights League, Italian American Civil Rights League. Now, in the second year they did it, they do it in Columbus Circle, which is, you know, honoring Christopher Columbus, who found America, who was Italian. And uh, 
he got on stage. It's a, it was a combination of, you know, entertainment and speeches kind of modeled even after, a, you know, March on Washington or some like Martin Luther King type of uh, rally. And uh, he was shot three times by an ex-convict named Jerome Johnson, who was an African-American who was immediately killed by Colombo's bodyguard on site immediately. And they never, they never, you know, they never were able to pin it on somebody else or 100% pin it on this guy because he was shot immediately. They did, um, Columbo did survive the shooting, but he had been left paralyzed and uh, eventually he was comatose and he died of his injuries uh, in 1978, several years later. But it was never clear what the shooter's motives were or even if he had fired the shots. It's a very lone gunman type of uh, environment where the assassin is killed instantly and that just got rid of a lot of evidence. We do have a lot of evidence of the guy being there and sneaking in firearms, and, and uh, but they really could never connect him to anything related to the mafia or, you know, Italian-American. So it, it's quite hard to say. I. I I tend to think he did it, but maybe someone was controlling him. It's really, uh, I'm really hard to say. I mean, look, the police couldn't find it. And, you know, I don't know if people cry cover up or this or that, but the, they investigate this stuff. And uh, if they had someone to arrest, you would think they would, you know, arrest them. But despite all that ambiguity, the assassination attempt had a very real impact within the mob. The Colombo family blamed Crazy Joe Gallo for the shooting because he had associates in crime that were black from prison. And even once he got out of prison, had some, you know, associations. And the mafia was very against that from racism and whatever other reasons. And the fact that it's insular crime, you know, and that kind of thing. So he had taken the blame for it by the Columbos because he was also making a power move to become the boss of the Columbos himself. I mean, the Columbos thought that Gallo had ordered the murders, but the police eventually concluded that the gunman had acted alone, another lone gunman assassin. As retribution for the Columbo shooting, Joseph Iacobelli, the new acting Columbo boss, ordered a hit on Joe Gallo, who was incorrectly presumed to have orchestrated the 1971 shooting of Joseph Colombo. Now we're getting to the restaurant murders. This first assassination is probably one of the most famous of its kind in the history of New York City. On April 7th, 1972, crazy Joe Gallo was celebrating his 43rd birthday at the Copacabana with his bride of three weeks her 10-year-old daughter, his sister, and his bodyguard in date. They arrived at the Copa at around 11 p.m. in time for the second show, which had starred Don Rickles. Jerry Orbach, who had become friends with Gallo after playing a character based on him in the movie The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight by Jimmy Breslin, was there. But after the show, Joey insisted they needed more food and he was determined to go to his favorite Chinese restaurant, Su Ling's in Chinatown. 
Orbach faithfully declined the invitation. Given Jerry Orbach's turn as jaded and snarky Detective Lenny Briscoe on Law and Order, the actor's real-life brush with a famous crime is a bizarre case of life imitating art. When they arrived, it was closed. Across the street, the only thing open was a new place on the corner of Esther and Mulberry Streets, the prime of Little Italy, an Italian seafood restaurant called Umberto's Clam House. Then it was a new place. Around 5 a.m., while enjoying his meal, Joey Crazy Joe Joseph Gallo was shot dead at the restaurant at 132 Mulberry Street on the day of his birthday. Joe was shot in the left elbow, the left buttock, and the back. He managed to stagger toward the front door, drawing fire away from the innocent patrons. He stumbled and fell, smashing the plate glass, plunged through the door, and staggered 15 more feet before collapsing in the street. He was declared dead in Beekman Hospital, driven there by a police officer who happened to stop his patrol car outside Umberto's. Thus ended one of Manhattan's most infamous mob hits. But who did it? Several accounts have been given to who was the killer, but no one was ever convicted. The police said they didn't know the identity of the killers, who also wounded Gallo's bodyguard in the gun battle that spilled out into the narrow streets of Little Italy. Umberto's was founded and owned by members of the Ionello family. Matthew Matty, the horse Ionello of the Genovese family, was managing the cash register that night, but claimed he fled to the kitchen and missed the entire attack. According to author Frank DiMatteo in the book Mafia Hitmen, Carmine DiBiase, the wise guy who really killed Joey Gallo. It was Carmine, Sonny Pinto, DiBiase, and two out-of-town hitmen known only as Cisco and Benny that came in the side door blasting. Because the restaurant was on a street corner, it had two entrances, like a front and a side door. The killers allegedly left Umberto's and hurried down Mulberry, crossing over Grand Street into the King Wa Chinese restaurant at number 91. Although closed to the public this time in the morning, it was always open to the mob. It had even been a mafia social club owned by Dominic Dickey Pilato, who still ran it with his Chinese wife, Mona. Pilato himself would later be found dead under mysterious circumstances. From there, the hit team vanished. Allegedly by taking a car to a safe house in Nyack, New York, to hit the mattresses and lay low until the heat died down. The speculation is that everyone under the sun did it. Many people claimed it and other people speculated. The latest disclosure being that Frank Sheeran, a Midwest enforcer and labor racketeer who claimed on his deathbed that he went into Umberto's and did the shooting himself. And that was seen in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. But the New York Police Engineering Unit carried out an evidence survey of the crime scene that found that at least 15 shots had been fired, including 25 caliber, 32 caliber, 38 caliber, and several of unidentified caliber. 
indicating that there had been several shooters. And I know in a lot of cases that you've covered that's similar thing, especially if it's three different guns, there's no way it's one person. And they really didn't know exactly how many people, but they're saying maybe three because they have three different type of caliber guns. And there's the unidentified ones, you know, who knows what they were. Gallo's funeral was held under police surveillance. His sister Carmela declared over his open coffin that the streets are going to run red with blood, Joey. And indeed they did. Gallo's death made an immediate impact on pop culture. In the Bob Dylan song, you know, they cover his funeral in there too, yeah. It's, uh, it was real current events type of song. He co-wrote the song with Jacques Brel and, and who did a lot of the lyrics, seeming assumed. And uh, they cover, you know, Joe Gallo as a folk hero, like Billy the Kid type of thing. And at the time it was pretty controversial. Some people thought he went too far. The murder also sparked a new wave of vengeance. Albert Gallo was determined to avenge his brother Joey's death. So he planned a hit to be carried out on the Colombo family's top echelon. And he allegedly sent a gunman to the Neapolitan Noodle at 320 East 79th Street in Manhattan on Friday, August 11th, 1971, when they had assembled there. Kid Blast had found out that Joe Sofiacavelli, Alphonse Alleyboy Persico, brother of imprisoned boss Carmine the Snake Persico, Gennaro Jerry Langlangella, Alleyboy's bodyguard, and Charlie, Charlie the Moose, Charlie the Muscle, Panarella. They were seen at the bar, and Albert had gotten a tip that they were there. But things would go tragically wrong, the Neapolitan Noodle. The Neapolitan Noodle was a semi-basement eatery. Diners had to enter by walking down a few steps. So it was hard for a passerby to casually see inside, which is why Alleyboy picked that place to meet with his ruling council. A few minutes before the hitman arrived, however, the mobsters had been moved to a table in the back and in their place were five kosher meat wholesalers from Westchester County and Long Island and their wives. They were there celebrating the engagement of one of their daughters to the restaurant's manager. They had stepped up to the bar and shortly thereafter, the newly arrivals took over the vacated bar seats and order drinks, positioned exactly where the four Colombo wise guys had just been. News reports described the shooter as bulky middle-aged, dressed in a loud Hawaiian shirt, wearing dark glasses and a long black wig, rumored to be a mysterious hitman hired by Gallo from Las Vegas. He put $10 on the bar and ordered a scotch. He spent a few minutes sipping it. Then he stood up, pulled out two 38 caliber revolvers and blasted away at the wrong targets. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Two of the businessmen died and their companions were wounded. The names of the innocent bystanders fell by the Las Vegas hitmen are Sheldon Epstein... 40 years old of New Rochelle, and Max Tekelek, 48 of Woodmere, both in New York State. The killer escaped and was never found. Scores of members of the Mafia families of Joseph A. Colombo and the late Joe Gallo were taken into custody and questions, but police had no solid leads on the killer to this day. Another lone gunman. In a case of mistaken identity, the gunman did not recognize the mobsters and shot four innocent diners, instead killing two of them. It was the scene of one of the worst mistakes in in Cosa Nostra history. Today, the shooting at the Neapolitan Noodle has been virtually forgotten and the restaurant itself no longer exists. We think it's incredibly telling that the killings of Sheldon Epstein and Max Tekelch, the two businessmen gunned down at the Noodle, are far less well-known than some of the other crimes we've talked about today. There is a glamour about mobsters, and that can only endure based on the myth that they only kill other mobsters. But we've seen time and time again that this is untrue. The families of Epstein and Kelch know that truth all too well. I, I don't know. I guess people don't remember, you know, the, when innocent people die. It's not as like heroic or whatever, you know. Joey Gallo was like a hero to like some people as like an old West guy shooting it down on Mott Street against the other guys, you know. And in some of the articles, it even mentioned that people on, you know, on the Little Italy were like, Flags are at half mast, and you know, we're paying their respects. Anyways, the shooter was never brought to justice. His strategy of wearing a loud top and distracting anyone from memorizing his features seems to have worked. You know, the theory is you know, you wear something that's noticeable and not what people are going to remember, and that is what they remember. 
Right. They just take all that off and then they don't have a long wig and a Hawaiian shirt and they're not the guy. So what about today? What happened to the Columbos and Kid Blasts? Should we still worry about the mob in 2022? It, it definitely has died down, but they, you know, because maybe the families are a little bit smaller, but they're still out there doing the same business that they ever did in a slightly smaller fashion. And people do get ordered to get someone to break this guy's legs and whatever, but there is less of the super high profile killings because also, you know, the mobsters, they don't, you know, they, they don't want to go to jail for that. That's one of the worst, you know, sentences, especially if you get first degree murder or something like that. Whereas if they get pinched on a gambling loan sharking type of thing, they usually could plead it down for like one to five years or something. You know? So there's always constantly a, a roll of guys going in and coming out. Right. And going in is like, you know, that's how they like recruit people underneath them and you know, it's a rolling thing. There's even been some cases of uh, people getting made into the mafia in like the prison cell, you know, at visiting, in the visiting area. <laughs> it's true. And, uh, you know, the big, big bosses and the commission case, in the mid eighties, you know, they all went to jail for a hundred years. No one got out of that sentence, you know. Paul Castellano, he got killed. The rest is 100 years, you know. That was real. That's a long time. So they try to, you know, not get caught. There is something in the mafia. When you're like around a family, that's it for life, basically. If you're going to start to be around some other family, you know, they have to officially like have a sit down, discuss it, this family, that family. And the guy from the family has to get released. They usually do it. It's it's not like trading like baseball players from minor league or whatever, but it's like similar. They release them, but usually they're washing their hands in a big headache. So the Colombo family, led by the imprisoned Persico until his death in 2019, he was in jail, you know, for over 30 years, but still maintained the title of boss. Everyone else was only an acting boss. Who was or street boss he was still the boss until his death in a 1974 agreement he released albert and his remaining crew to join the genovese family albert kid blast gallo allegedly operated a crew in carroll gardens brooklyn that was still active as recently as 2010 running gambling and low charge operations and he is still alive today at age 91. and you guys know from uh living in new york carroll gardens i mean that's a really nice neighborhood that's a tony neighborhood it's not easy to live there you know a lot of these mafioso and if you look in the headlines like even right now a lot of them are over 80 years old some are 83 85 88 even sonny francis he was in jail until he was i think 100 somehow and lived to like 104. so there comes a certain time when you're the boss, but if you're 85 or 88, you go into some type of semi-retirement slash retirement. A lot of them move to Florida, stuff like that. But they're still the head. When they're the boss, it's the boss until they abdicate or someone kills them, etc. There was just the, uh, the current boss of the Colombo family 
Andrew Mushruso. He had just gotten released on compassionate release. He was 86, I believe. And then with less than a year, he just passed away. But he was still the boss. He was actually a cousin of Carmine Person. So there's that whole, you know, blood lineage that the mafia, you know, tries to instill that it goes down the blood because these people you can trust. Your brother-in-law, son, and they try to have that, you know, as tenuous as sometimes it may get. Umberto's like transcends it into tourism, you know, and even though it actually moved a few times, it's still like it's had the same facade, and so people just recognize it. It's considered more of like a tourist, like trap, you know, for the last like 20 years or so. But it is still there, so they must be doing something. The Neapolitan noodle, I don't really know, you know. I mean, I, it took note on me, and you know that's why I told you guys about it. It's like you just don't hear about it, but. It's right there in the New York Times what happened, you know. The guy just came out with two thirty-eights, and you know that's a big caliber gun inside of a place. How loud that must be. And uh, how destructive it was. And the other guys who moved away from the bar, Alley Boy, they were already like in the back of the restaurant, like near the kitchen, you know, making like an easy escape. And they, were, they weren't found, you know, on site. They did get interviewed later, but the people were trying to kill them. They weren't killing anyone. So it was just one of these weird, you know, conundrums where in all of these cases, you know, it, the mafia is such a professional in the business of killing people that it, that you just don't get caught. So many of them remain unsolved, you know, the Anastasia, you know, to, to the Joey Gallo that, you know, it's just never, there's never been someone saying he did it. He's on trial or whatever. It's just, uh, they know how to do it. The handing off and the changing of the need to know. And occasionally, yeah, someone, people get caught because maybe on the body or something leads them to someone or something like that. But in, 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 in a lot of them, they're still unsolved. And then other times they just kill the guys that did it. So then it's beyond unsolved. Thanks so much to Stephen Popkin for generously sharing his research with us. Sources for today's episode include the New York Times, as well as authors Ed Scarpo, Tom L. Jones, Selwyn Rabb, and Frank DiMatteo. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murder sheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murder sheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at M Sheet Podcast. 
or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.